You are listening to Contesting Wrestling, the podcast where we talk about the things that fans love and that normal people are baffled by uh, when it comes to the world's most prominent form of simulated combat. My name is Evan Burke. I'm a writer. I'm on a journey to have uh, two of my oldest and closest friends to help me understand what it is that people love so much about wrestling, why people will devote dozens of hours a week to uh, devouring wrestling content. And today, for the third time ever, we have a special guest to aid them in their quest to help me figure shit out. I am Professor Dr. Ben Abelson. Professor Doctor. (laughs) Praftak. Both of those things. Uh, I do the professoring at Mercy College uh, in the field of philosophy, uh, and I am a longtime lover of professional wrestling as well. Uh, My name is Doc Diamondfire. I've been in professional wrestling over a decade. I do a little bit of everything. I do commentary. I do ring announcing. I do wrestling. I do podcasts like this. And uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm always happy to try and explain to Evan why we love what we love. And our special guest here is Tom Specialty Frazier, owner and co-promoter of Imperial World Wrestling. Welcome, Tom. Thank you guys for having me. I, uh, I look forward to um, giving another insight to Evan and helping you guys on this journey. So your, your technical role, you are a booker. I'm the co-owner. I'm the booker. I am the whole effing show, in the words of Rob Van Dam. There you go. And you have a show coming up November yeah. 30th? November 30th at Martin Luther School in Maspeth, Queens. IWW Cheat Code. It is the second installment, episode two, because we do run episodic. We had our first show back in June in front of an incredible audience. Uh, it was an extremely successful show, and we're looking to keep that momentum rolling in November. Nice, man. Right, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I cannot, I truly cannot imagine the amount of work that's got to go into running a, a wrestling promotion. It has completely so. consumed my life. <laughs> I, I'm actually, th- he introduced me as Tom Specialty Fraser. Specialty was my um, hip hop rap name. I'm a former artist, and I c- had to completely abandon that just because this takes up com- like all of my time. And that's not like a sad thing because this is also a passion of mine. I have no qualms about it, no regrets. This is, you know, I'm fine with this taking up all my time. I love this. I love what I do. The stuff you learn as a musician, especially both just on the spiritual and artistic side and also on like the business and hustling side of things, is applicable to a, a whole lot of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I take a lot of what I learned trying to brand myself as an artist to now trying to brand my promotion. Like I, It's definitely applicable in this, this walk of life as well. You learn that you have to do everything yourself. Um, even if you have a team of people also working very hard, if everybody presumes they have to do everything themselves, stuff gets done. And uh, if not, shout out to my team too. Shout out to Money Labels, my partner. Shout out to my staff. Um, shout out to Money Labels Network staff. Uh, it's, we got a, we got a nice little team uh, that really vibes well together. Shout out to David too, David Campbell. So the matches that we're talking about today, we asked Tom for what he thought was a really really good match that we should talk about. And he chose Shawn Michaels versus Vince McMahon in a no-holds-barred match from WrestleMania 22. Earlier on the podcast, we talked about some of the matches that occurred later in this feud. But none of them are anywhere near the the greatness of this one particular match. So I'm really glad we're getting a chance to give it its time. Yeah, Um, you you guys might be saying to yourselves, Hey, didn't you just do a whole Vince episode? But... Much like the people that Vince kidnaps so he can hunt them for sport on his private island, 
we just can't get away from the guy. <laughs> and uh, But this is not a two-parter because our official first two-parter is coming up and it will be on uh, the immortal, unfortunately, maybe, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, unfortunately, nobody has slain him yet, so we do not know that that is possible. It's, it's just a moniker, guys. It's just a moniker. Keep but, uh, me away from that episode, please. <laughs> it, well, it was because well, they couldn't call him the Incredible Hulk because they already got sued about that. Yep. And actually, Marvel Entertainment, for years and years, still owned the Hulk Hogan name. But anyway, wow. this isn't the Hulk Hogan episode. So. <laughs> He's very invasive. There's a reason he became such a big star. Uh, but on to Vince. I saw him be real invasive in that uh, video they leaked, huh? I did not watch the video that they leaked. For what I hope are obvious reasons. The bad match is the universal title match between Seth Rollins and the fiend Bray Wyatt from the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which was just a couple weeks ago as of the recording of this episode. It set a first-time record, for me at least, that we'll get into. So I was, so before we get into the matches, I want to I wanna pick your brain a little bit yeah, about, about how this works, about Absolutely. what's going on. What is it to run... A wrestling promotion. Like, what is your day-to-day experience? How long is this podcast? How much time do we have? <laughs> All right. Uh, sheesh. I mean, literally, you you couldn't even fathom what it's like to own a... I, back when I did music, I thought that I was grinding hard. I thought I was working hard. I didn't have a damn clue what working hard was until I did this. And I, honestly, this doesn't even pertain to wrestling. Just, just owning a company, owning a brand, sure. and doing it the right way. A lot of times... With indie wrestling promotions, it might it may not be as in depth, you know, but we have say we have a meeting, right? To the average mind, yeah, a meeting doesn't seem to take up too much time. You have to schedule the meeting. You have to plan the meeting out. You have to um, reach out to everybody that's going to be involved in the meeting. You have to think about who needs to be at this meeting, who needs to be privy to this information. Even just something as simple as that, and that doesn't even get into the wrestling. Then you gotta book the match. I got ahead of it. We, we launched in January of this year, 2019. Our first show was in June. So from January to June, it was all about picking it up off the ground, promoting. We had a press conference in April. We had a live draft in April. It was actually a combined event. It was a really cool experience. It, we used it as a promotional tool. Mm-hmm. But even before January, I spent I got ahead of it. I spent the two years scripting out the show the whole season one because, like I said, we run episodic. So I actually have 12 episodes written, right? So then... That must be hard in terms of making sure that you're going to have the talent to fill those positions consistently. It's still constant work. Even with everything written out, you know, that's why they say cards subject to change because you just got to keep up with the times. People Guy, get hurt. Right, people, people get, get hurt. People, people retire. retire. Exactly, you know? right. What does what does a wrestling script like look like? Like what it to looks, what degree do you write the like what happens in a match, etc.? Right. I my my product is more storyline based. It's got a lot more story than you might typically see on an independent level. And, and again, I'm not I'm speaking generally, not every promotion. But what we do is episodic. So it's honestly the run sheet is exactly like a script would look for a playwright. You know, segment one, so and so comes out, enters the room, says this, and it's and and, and of course. With wrestlers, a lot of it is off the cuff, so I just give them a slight direction. I, I, I give them where mm. they need to be. Bullet points, maybe. Yeah, bullet points. Like, this is what you need to cover, this is what you need to get across, and then you can get your shtick in there. So-and-so enters. End scene. Backstage. This happens. 
bring it back to the ring. This guy comes out, promote this. This match happens. This is what happens. And, and again, the matches, I don't get too involved because a lot of promoters are former workers. I am not. I, 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 I was never a wrestler. So I kind of work with them and say, what do you want to do in this match? And then for certain matches, I'll be like, well, I need this to happen in the match. But for the most part, the wrestlers will call that themselves. But usually, there's at least one or two things in that match that need to happen. So then it goes, you know, segment, segment, backstage, back to the ring, match. This guy comes out first. This guy comes out second. Hit this guy's music because he's going to win. Like that. So it's it's very, it's usually the script comes out to a couple pages long for a show. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about in an independent promotion, some independent promotions, the characters will all be created by the booker. And they're all sort of like the booker's intellectual property. Some promotions, it's all character. You know, everybody who is on that, it's a character that the wrestler came up with. And they're sort of more in a partnership with the booker. Where do you fall on that? And if you are creating characters, um, I don't know, kind of what's your what's your process there? That it's a very complex science. It's definitely not an exact thing. Wrestlers are independent contractors, right? So there's this kind of power struggle where what the promoter says goes, obviously, because the promoter's the one that's putting on the show. He's the one that's paying everybody. You're working for him. It's so it's what he says goes. But then there's also wrestlers who think, well, I don't have to do what you tell me to. Cue the the glass break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, or the Rage Against the Machine. Right? Yeah, right. Well, that that actually that was the name of of this the soundtrack that Stone Cold came out to. It's like I won't do what you tell me to do. That uh, okay. little wrestling uh, little wrestling uh, tidbit. That. Yeah. that was the uh, name. That yeah. was what Jim Johnston. That was what he named that composition. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous when wrestlers don't want to do what the booker says uh, on an ego level. It's one thing if you're if you're asked to do something like really objectionable. Well, well right. That's but, uh, honestly a lot of times what I'm seeing it's not even ego. It's just a matter of like, well, I you know, I don't usually do that. Like I'd like to do what I usually do. Mm. And so it just you have to be level-headed and you have to be able to work with guys cuz at the end of the day you just want the best product. A so a lot, a lot of promoters, they just want their product. And you don't I, want I'm wrestlers a, doing stuff they're uncomfortable doing because then right. it, the audience will be able to tell and it's not going to come off well. Exactly, exactly. I was interested in something you said about the meetings about who's going to know what. You want to get kind of genuine reactions from people, right? So you kind of want them to know only as much as they need to in order to do their job. But I find that really interesting about the wrestling business is that it's always opaque to some degree unless you're you, unless you're the guy on top yeah. who's the only person who knows everything. And so what's that like, being the having that kind of burden of knowledge maybe sometimes? It's hard, especially even maybe not for show one because I do try to keep everybody in the know of what's happening for the show we're building up to. So that way everybody knows to act accordingly. But trying to transpose my vision to people, especially the workers, who when they question, well, why am I doing this? And I I happen to know four shows from now the end result that I want. And it's hard to, like, kind of communicate that. Like, I, my biggest thing is I just I try to ask them, be patient. Like, just trust my vision. Trust that I know where, I, where we all need to be. And trust, just trust me when I say this is what you need to do. You know, and, and it's hard because then people will second-guess you. And like I said, it goes back to I want to work with you. I, I want to make sure you're not just comfortable, but I want to make sure you're down to do this. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, why, why do I need to lose here? 
or oh why why is this happening this doesn't seem to make sense i was like yeah but it will make sense moving forward and it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of tussling it really sounds like um you know we've talked before about how wrestling has a lot of overlap with improv comedy in how it works and is it that's like i i did improv for a few years and there's a lot of the same framework. And this really sounds like... Are, are you a fan of um, Christopher Guest movies? Name you some. Know, uh, Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, A Mighty Wind. Spinal Tap was kind of a, a Christopher Guest movie. I've never even seen Spinal Tap. Uh, they're all... So he makes... And there's other people who do like Curb Your Enthusiasm also works like this. Uh, something where it's it, the story is structured and there's you know one person who's directing it, but it's improvised. It's completely everybody in it is playing character and those they all have a lot more freedom but i would imagine that that makes it a lot more it's a lot more complicated when you are in a relationship with the people working with you where there is a sort of creative push and pull yeah. but it seems like if there was a real dictatorial uh booker in wrestling that that you wouldn't get as good of a show out of that well right i could do that easily i could say well no this is what's going to happen and either you can do it or you can get the hell out of here but i don't want to do that yeah. cuz like you said i want people to be happy to work for me but there is also a line because sometimes you have to you have to put your foot down you have to draw the line every major promotion that's where I want to be in you know a few years times I'm young and I have room to grow and I want to do that every major promotion there is the boundary where it's like all right well I'm just an independent contractor and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do what I'm asked to do because I want to work here as opposed to other promotions where they they do what they think is best because the promotion needs them. Mm. I want them to think they need to work for me, which they don't yet, but I do want to get to that level where sure. I'm a major promotion. Where what you say has a little more clout. Yeah, right. Yes, that's a good word, yeah. So I would imagine that, you know, that there are basically two ways to do this. You either come up through the wrestling business as a wrestler, as a ref, as somebody like that, and then you start your own company, or you come at it as a fan. I uh, yeah, I guess there really is no other way to say it. I was a fan, and then I became a promoter. There really was no in between that I could say. I did study promoters. I did shadow other promoters. So it's not like I just went from being a mark and then saying, "All right, well, cool. I'll just start my own wrestling promotion because it just seems to be that easy." Mm. A lot of people do that. Yeah, they just right. have the money too, and uh, wrestlers love that because they get paid. Yeah. Uh, from those guys. Right. Yeah, that, that's but another those, thing. Those promotions almost never go anywhere because it's not from somebody who's actually studied the business or knows what they're doing or has a plan like you seem to. So that's cool, you know. Thank you. I definitely struggled to have legitimacy when I first started. Luckily, there were a few key guys who I knew in the business who were able to vouch for me. Shout out to uh, Jake Gomez, the uh, um, king of chaos, Logan Black. He was actually the man who got me into the business. Shout out to um, the strategist, Just Neff. These were guys that I knew before my first show who I was able to use as like a, a, a credibility source who could who could say if I wanted to reach out to somebody and they were like, who the hell is this guy? Like Jake and Neff could say, no, don't worry. Like, you know, you could trust him. You could, you could take his booking. And honestly, I don't know if I would have been able to put a show together without that kind of uh, credibility vouching for me. You know? So even though you did not come up in the business you still once you realize that this is what you wanted to do you still have the sense to go and find people in the business right. to sort to, how, to get how, in there and how it actually worked because i was a like i said i used to be a hip-hop artist how it actually worked was i was engineering at a internet radio station wvmr in queens one day 
And one of the shows, one of the daytime shows that was on was a wrestling podcast. And so he actually brought in a wrestler, Logan Black. And so that's how I met him. And we ended up um, exchanging info and we ended up talking and becoming friends. So, so much to the point that, because I told him, like, you know, I want to be a promoter. So he was like, all right, no doubt. I could show you who you need to get in touch with, who you need to, like, work with, a.k.a. Shadow, you know, to learn the business. And he did, and he introduced me to a couple people, and he and he ended up becoming a good friend of mine. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, a little shocked to learn that there are other wrestling podcasts. I feel like Ben and Doc have <laughs> not been very forthcoming with me about uh, Only a we've, few couple thousand. We've, mm-hmm. sh- we've shielded you from them because uh, most of them uh, do not cover exactly the same things that we do. Yeah. As, we, as, you, as I like to say, and, and this is a little derisive, but, uh, you know, Three guys complaining that Raw sucked every week. Uh, I mean, that's been done. That's being done. Mm-hmm. You know, Google and it'll always be done. It'll always be done. Uh, whether or not Raw is any good, it's not. And um, we we're did, trying to do something else. We did tell you about Bruce Pritchard and how you should do everything you can to antagonize him because oh. starting a Twitter war would uh, get us lots of listeners. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw, yeah. and then I saw on our on our Twitter, uh, you know, our little heads up yeah. thing that it gives notifications. There, that's what they're called. Uh, that Bruce Pritchard has been uh, promoted into some sort of capacity. Yes, yes, he's the, the executive producer of uh, WWE SmackDown. He's, he's actually a very good creative mind. He's been in the business for decades, and he has a podcast where he can be as inflammatory as he wants, so uh, I think we can too. He just took over for Eric Bischoff, who we've mentioned on the podcast before, who I think has finally revealed to the world that he is a complete charlatan and, was, and only lucked into his spot in wrestling, but... Anyway, did he lose a charlatan match where you have to declare yourself a charlatan if you lose, if you get pinned? No, uh, that's when you lose a match in Charlotte, North Carolina. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, All right. So we are definitely uh, we are going to do a more long form interview about this with uh, with you at some point in the future. Most definitely. Absolutely. Um, because uh, this is a fascinating, fascinating thing to me. Uh, honestly, I find it so far. I mean, I guess this makes sense because I'm like a pretentious white guy. But so far, I find indie wrestling so much more interesting than than WWE. Uh, it but is. that also just is it just is more yeah, interesting. The, the main like, reason we've shown you so much uh, really mainstream wrestling so far is that it's a base. We're just getting yes. started, yes. and then we're gonna get to the more avant garde stuff. We're gonna get to the more independent stuff as time goes on. Um, not, what, uh, not today. When we were talking about uh, before the show, you mentioned yeah. uh, some, some, one of the matches for an upcoming show that you guys were talking about, and you, you were complaining about how long it was. And that's why I asked, are you more into the theatrics or into the wrestling itself? Because mm-hmm. I was curious if you didn't like how long one of those matches went, how you would react to like an Okada versus Omega match, yeah, yeah. which where the wrestling is primo, but it just goes on forever. Like or like Flair Steamboat doing yeah. an hour draw or something like that. I mean, I, I feel like it would be it would be like anything where even, you know, like if my favorite band puts out a double album, like that's a lot. That's a lot to sit through, even yeah. if even yeah. if it's the even greatest if, thing in yeah. the world. Even like, if that's your favorite band. It's a lot. I get you. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're watching the greatest wrestling in the world, like Wrestle Kingdom is exhausting. Like, you know, watching, it, it, like, one, like, amazing match after another with, like, so many near falls and all that shit, like, there's diminishing returns at a certain point, you Absolutely. Know? When we started doing this podcast, I feel like I would have said, oh, clearly I'm going to be more into, into the theatrics of it because I'm not as much of a sports fan and that kind of thing. But I have to say, as we've been doing this, like, 
this is probably the most I have ever enjoyed, like, physical competition in any sort of sense. And I've mostly been trying to watch through the lens of the concept that Ben and Doc introduced me to that I think about a lot is a wrestler expresses their character through their physicality and how they wrestle. And that's really... That's kind of like the core thing, one of the core things to look for. That's why I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm just guessing here, and we will find out at some point in the future. I think Evan's going to like modern New Japan, okay, even if the matches are long and there's a lot of it, because uh, the matches are usually packed with action. There's a lot being communicated in the action. It's very different from like the much slower American style from the early 90s that we've seen a bunch of. But today, Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess one way of kind of getting into this, uh, Tom, to what degree do you identify with Vince McMahon as a booker? Is, <laughs> is, is he the reason, you know, some of the reason why you got into you, it? You got his muscle I... and fitness poster blown up on the <laughs> wall. You know, <laughs> your, your alarm clock goes off and it's just what a maneuver over and over again. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's a thing in the ring. I Actually, funny that you mentioned that. I think Vince McMahon is a very underrated uh, yeah. commentary Man, I think any type of promoter will always be the best choice for commentary. Yeah. Because nobody will be able to narrate their own vision better than the man who has his vision. You know what I'm saying? You you could send two guys out there and say, well, this is what I want people to feel. But to go out there and say and know what you want people to feel and be able to manipulate the the scene that you're watching and... Just like, oh, well, you know, I, if I want people to think about this guy as like a striker, go out there and react. Oh, wow, to every strike. There's no better commentator than the guy who's running the show. And obviously, that can't always happen. Sometimes he's too busy. I, I, to be honest, I don't know how he used to operate WWF and commentate at the same time. It blows my mind. I think Vince McMahon is a genius. No, no matter what's happening with the state of WWE right now, I think he's a genius and... Even if he might have lost touch or whatever, I'll never take away his accomplishments. He's he is an idol of mine. I definitely I idolize Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman. Vince was great, especially commentating on superstars or whatever, where he's building the characters, where he's telling you the kinds of things you were just saying, you know, what to look for, what this guy is all about. And then he'd have JR do the pay-per-views, and then he could kind of just react to yeah. what's happening. And that combo was pretty cool. Have you ever seen uh, Mankind's debut? That's where it's most apparent. You of mean like, on Superstars? I'm pretty sure I um, saw it when it aired. I, I don't know if it was uh, on Superstars, uh, to be honest. I just remember watching Mankind's first WWF, yeah. like where he came out in his gimmick, and... Just it was very peculiar how Vince McMahon was speaking and how he was reacting to mankind because you could tell he made that character and is now reacting to how he made that character. It was it was it was cool to watch. Growing up and seeing Vince and like knowing that he was really in charge and stuff, it just you know to me the idea that you had your own universe that you could play with, you know, and your own giant story that you could write is a very appealing sort of thing. Absolutely, my my biggest thing when it came to doing a promotion was just to that point. Like I want to give the fans something that I think is the perfect product. And rather than sitting around and complaining about what WWE could be doing better or what so-and-so's promotion could be doing better. Let me just go out there and make my best attempt at making a perfect product for somebody. The commentator really is going to have to either be a promoter or a wrestler because those are the two people who put the most thought into how to pace a match. 
and those are the two people who put the most thought into how to I don't know how how to communicate a match to to an audience. Right, that makes sense. I, I I never really thought of that before because I guess I one of the things I still have trouble with this with the matches. I just block the I like block the commentary out. Like I barely notice that the commentary is happening. This is a general point that I think um, over time when you watch wrestling, I, we call it watch wrestling. But I feel like I listen to it as much as I watch it. Not just the commentary, but the crowd. Um, and I think that's something that over time perhaps will will build with you, Evan. Evan, I hope you didn't block out the commentary for this Vince Shawn Michaels match because the way Jim Ross sells this match, that is one of the highlights for me because he's a part of the storyline. Mm. He's just as much as an, an opponent of Vince McMahon as Shawn Michaels is. And the way he sells the agony that Vince put him through and the way he sells the, the joyous uh, the joy of watching Shawn Michaels just tear apart Vince McMahon. I watched that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, 2006, I was I still believed wrestling was not kayfabe. Mm-hmm. I I so I grew I grew up watching that match and I thought, "Wow. This this is incredible. This man's getting all of his comeuppance right now. This is great." Like JR had been forced to join an exclusive club, the uh, Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club, some month or so previous to this match so he he actually mentions on commentary that he's returning for this match in particular because yeah, he was kayfabe fired my takeaway so far in this episode is i really need to start making more of an effort to pay attention to the commentary because i guess also just for that match at least i feel like a lot of the matches we've watched when i do pay attention to the commentary it's just fucking inane bullshit i don't know like matches that we watched that like involved any women and jerry lawler was commenting or stuff like that yeah, where you're, just you're gonna want to block that out yeah immediately. <laughs> right. um, and anything um, but, past like 2008 or whatever whenever michael cole took over as lead announcer is just unlistenable i i did i did for the premium episode we're going to record later we did a match from this year that i did notice the commentary was significantly worse even though i yeah. still wasn't really <laughs> absorbing it it's it just felt worse the uh, reasoning behind that is when they made the switch to pg not when they made the switch to become a publicly owned company but when they made the switch to pg and their sponsor and it literally became whatever the sponsors say goes, you know, whatever's going to make us the most money. That's when it became, all right, Michael Cole, I'm going to pipe, I'm going to pipe myself into your headpiece and you're just going to say whatever the hell I tell you to say. Uh-huh. And you're going to stay away from whatever I tell you to stay away from because of, you know, the, the societal standards that WWE was held to after a certain year. So it became less about telling a story, less about entertaining and all about what can we say that won't get us in trouble with anyone at all? Right. While still not leaving so much as a second where somebody isn't blabbering over everything that's happening. Exactly. And right. also, like, plug in the fucking Twitter and, like, whatever's trending. And, like, I think social media really hurt commentary as well. So, man, this match, this this was... Okay. Oh, man. I'm excited. I'm excited match. to even talk about it. Before even the match, uh, the promos beforehand. Yeah. Oh. Vince's promo is one of my favorite promos of all time when the whole McMahon family kneels down and prays to God and Vince is like, God, I don't like you and you don't like me. That shit is just fucking brilliant. As much as like Vince gets into all of the, you know, God baiting and I hear the commentator at one point refer to him as literally Satan or something. Vince does look like a guy who like maybe isn't regularly sacrificing people, but has definitely went through a period where he was like, well, I'm going to try drinking human blood and see 
see if it affects my gains. Because if <laughs> yeah. I make more gains on the blood, I'm going to try. And then maybe after a few months, he was like, all right, it's not making a big difference. You can stop bringing me blood. But Speaking of his gains, Steph mentions his 24-inch pythons in yeah. the promo. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, Vince is jacked to the gills. Uh, he's in his mid-50s. He has larger muscles than he's ever had at any point in his life. Or is he even 60 at this point? This was his like cover of Muscle and Fitness. I'm 16 on the cover of Muscle and Fitness. And yeah, I don't know that he was on steroids, but I'd be very surprised if I, he wasn't. He, he could be on steroids or he could be an action figure brought to life. One other thing going on in the background here is uh, Vince mentions in the promo that he screwed Brett. He finally <laughs> admits that <laughs> that he did it. And um, that's actually that, the, that's yeah. to get Sean over as a face because, you know, th- that's the most animosity you could ever get at one time with those two men involved is bring up the whole Bret Hart incident. I Evan, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bret Hart oh, incident. We, uh, we, did oh, we, we covered we, that we part. We have an upcoming episode about okay. the screw job. Yeah. So um, that was actually smart. Shawn Michaels gained more heat over that incident than any one man could gain in one action. So that was smart to turn the tables and have Vince play up on that to take all the, um, what's the word? The heat off of Sean. Yeah, Shawn. to take all the heat off of Sean, yeah. But, all, that's also the year that Brett finally mended ties with the WWE and was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, at, like, the night before WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah I was going to say WrestleMania 22. That was his... One thing that excited me about, about watching this is that I have learned so far from every match we've seen with these guys that these two sell better than pretty much anybody. And so I just knew that it was going to be, you know, very entertaining on a theatrical level because they both just like bounce around and have anguished faces so well and like do all of that. I was not expecting to see an act of incest as explicit as anything on game of Thrones. And, uh, it was, um, it was pretty, uh, it was, it was an an experience. This match told a story better than I think any match has ever told a story. And I don't mean telling a story in the ring of like one guy overcoming a bigger opponent. I mean, this told a story. Shawn Michaels, in the year of 2006, his whole big thing was he found God. You know, he was a deviant in the in the late 90s. You, you may he, say a degenerate. A degenerate, perhaps. yeah. <laughs> and, and of he, the X variety. This is a shoot. He was a piece of shit person backstage. Everybody said so. People did not like him. He was a bad person. Yeah, every, everyone says so. Yeah. That's true. And so he comes back to the WWE after he shoot found God. He, like this wasn't a part of the story. He really just you know turned over a new leaf, became a you know a more mature person because he was probably 35 maybe in 2006 no no maybe like 30 i know he was 30 in 96 so oh like, fuck so yeah so wow he was 40 holy shit that's crazy that he was performing well, I remember his at this career level. started in the mid 80s yeah wow so yeah he, he performing at this level at that age was crazy but he real yeah. life found god and they played into that and i think the best part of that match is you could see he he entered that dark side and and, and jim ross actually he taps into that in commentary he says Shawn Michaels has reverted back to a place I thought I would never see him go again. And, and that he, was and he, just good storytelling. And he does the suckets on yeah. top of the ladder and everything. <laughs> and, yeah. Into the match. like the, the match, like, it starts out, you know, uh, like like many matches, a little bit of the back and forth. Um, although later it's mostly Shawn. You know, they, 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 they fight. Vince is a big, strong guy. You don't overcome Vince immediately. But as soon as Shawn did start overcoming Vince... A pack of cheerleaders ran into the ring and just started beating the hell out of him. I'm going to just real quick 
yeah. uh, with the Spirit Squad. This Go is a little Spirit this squad. is a little splitting hairs. Yeah. But so to me, they read as much more of a dance dance crew or mm-hmm. break squad. Yeah. Like yeah. that's like I think I think that is what they are doing with their physicality. I understand that because of like the inherent kind of homophobic nature of <laughs> WWE wrestling, they are called cheerleaders because that's more feminine and they're therefore more villainous. Well, I Raw, assume that that would, is the thinking there. On Raw, they would line up and do cheers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, like no, the, they the were, tallest yeah. one would lead them in like rah-rah cheers for stuff. Because they are they are doing breakdancing moves yeah. when they appear in this mode. So I was like, oh, that's a break squad. And then they were referring them as a cheer squad. A couple of things about the Spirit Squad. Number one, apparently the gimmick was originally meant for CM Punk and Mickey James. Yeah, that was um, work. <laughs> what the fuck? And um, then uh, something that really I don't think came across to like the Monday Night Raw audience was they started the Spirit Squad in OVW in the developmental territory at the time. There was a great story be- that was told over the weeks of TV, uh, which Paul Heyman was in charge of at the time where all the top heels start falling from grace, start losing, and then kind of get abducted into this spirit squad cheerleader cult, which I thought made them way more interesting than what we saw on TV. And also, that would make so much more sense that Vince had, like, a cult of buff young dudes following him around, like, beating up his enemies. That went over well once already, when Vince McMahon had a cult. It was called the uh, Corporate Ministry of Darkness. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What?! I really don't know anything about wrestling. Like, that is the whole point of this podcast. Vince's <laughs> corporation, he had his corporation crew uh, stable, <laughs> and The Undertaker had the Ministry of Darkness, and then they merged. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, all right. Yeah. I, you it know, as much me as. all I, along, Austin. Right. right. As much as uh, I would like to move away from the WWE, I don't know. I keep learning about shit, then I'm like, well, I guess we got we to gotta go it's, over that. It's a deep hole. As much as I shit on the attitude. Era, there were some moments that were fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, the best of the Attitude Era was crazy great, and the yeah. worst of it was the worst. That's what happens when you like open your creativity up to wide swings for yeah. the fences. Sometimes right. you knock it out of the park. So uh, Evan mentioned this act of incest, which was, I believe, Shane joining the Kiss My Ass Club. Is that what you were referring uh, to? Yes, yes. The look on Vince's face is just obscene and fantastic. Oh, it truly is. So, okay. Shane is awesome in this match, by the way, right? Yeah, nobody sucks like Shane McMahon does, man. He shows up, (laughs) and I hate him so much. I I maintain my description that I've always had about Shane McMahon, which is he is a guy who is a white-collar office manager by day and a terrible SoundCloud rapper by night, and he will make you come to the company barbecue and make everybody listen to his SoundCloud while you're all at the barbecue. That is who Shane McMahon is as a person, and boy, does that come out in his character. Oh, after nine or ten high-end martinis, he'll grab the mic and start freestyling, and you'll tell him it's great you have because to. he's your boss. Because he fired Jerry last year when Jerry right. didn't fucking <laughs> rock out to it. Yeah. Like, My favorite part is when he's handcuffed to the rope and just like uh, totally ineffectually trying to kick Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so at one point, Shawn handcuffs him to the middle rope, and Shane can't do anything. And Sean keeps going to go, like, fuck with Vince doing stuff, and then coming back and just smacking Shane around. Like, shut yeah. up, Shane. Yeah. Shut, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Oh, oh, it was great. It was great. They um Back to the Kiss My Ass Club, a couple weeks prior in the build-up to WrestleMania and the build-up to that match, uh, Vince, in an attempt to just ruin Shawn Michaels, 
gave him a piss test and say, saying that, you know, oh, well, you know, he's on, whether it was steroids or whatever. And Shawn Michaels, he pisses in the cup, and right before they test it, he throws it in Vince or Shane's face, or I think both of them, <laughs> throws his piss in their face. So he gets the upper hand that week. So the next week, they drug him. <laughs> they drug him and then they rub his drugged face into Vince in McMahon's Vince's ass. ass. Yeah, it was a different time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I that's, mean, that's uh, heat I'm not right surprised. There, yeah. There's yeah. zero surprise in my yeah. voice that that is a story. And then like you that. know what I'm thinking? I'm calling back to after the WrestleMania match when Triple H gets involved. Right. And they, once the and DX reunion they, they think they drug him, but then he actually spits out the water and fakes being drugged. So he comes back to life and he takes Shane's face and. Shane's face goes up his uh, dad's keister a lot. I felt a number of things in this. One was, you know, just it's a weird world that you live in when you watch a guy uh, getting his face rubbed into his own father's ass and you think, yes. that guy's at work right now. Yeah, that guy's getting paid <laughs> the big bucks. And if you have listened to this podcast, you're going to find this next statement unbelievably hypocritical on my part. But Vince is too obsessed with butts. Too much butts. Because I feel like whenever Vince is like, oh, we need to have something funny. I know, we'll have a Something with butts in it, yeah, and that's it. Cause that's yeah. his, that's that's as far as it goes. And then I'm trying to imagine him around sitting around the table pitching, the like you know like, and then Shane, your face goes on my ass, and Shane McMahon's just like, God, fucking damn it, Dad, again, <laughs> like, again, again. I and then to, uh, like, at WrestleMania in front of you know fifty thousand people. And then a couple weeks after WrestleMania, after DX reunites, and it's DX versus the Spirit Squad and Big Show or somebody in Big Show. And Vince McMahon's head goes up Big Show's ass. Oh, we watched that one, oh, yes, actually. Watch oh, yeah, nice. That. Yes, I yeah. have seen that. It's it's just, uh, no, you're right. His bloody head goes yeah. up Big Show's ass. Yeah. No, you're right. His his go-to is butt stuff. I want to talk about Shawn Michaels a little bit in this match. You know, First of all, like back to when, he, when the Spirit Squad was beating him up, they give him their finishing move, which is the five of them surround him and just throw him in the air. And it, it's always been like... It's spectacular looking, but like Sean comes down right on his hip and like there's no way for him to take his own bump and like actually protect himself when five guys just chuck you in the air as hard as they can. There's a couple things he does in this match that I am amazed Shawn Michaels got through his career without any like truly major injuries. Well, he he well, left he for years because his back was all fucked up. Oh, but this okay, was man. after he had come back like four this, years later. Because, you know, fast forward to the end of this match. I, I have some technical questions. <laughs> when he pulls out the bigger ladder. Yeah, all right. For, I, <laughs> the look on Shane's face when he sees that is pretty priceless. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because, yeah, well, yeah, he sets up, you know, so he's got Vince all beat up and Vince is on a table and he goes and he gets a ladder and he sets up the ladder and he goes all the way to the top of the ladder and he's about to jump off and he's like, oh, hold on. And he goes to get something else. And I was like, what could this possibly be? And when it was a bigger ladder, yeah. I was kind of like, that's clearly the only choice. Uh, but then he puts Vince in the trash can and puts <laughs> him on the table and then jumps off of what appears to be a 30-foot ladder onto. And I just like yeah. would challenge anybody, regardless of your opinion of wrestling, to not be impressed by that. Because hey, that is some impressive this. shit. Vince couldn't tell when Sean was going to hit him. He's just laying there like, well, this is going to happen at some indeterminate. Because if, if somebody's going to jump on you, you know, you tense your abs, you get up right, a little course, bit. Yeah. So he can't do any of that. He's just in this metal trash can waiting for impact and table crumble. So the, it's got to be that the trash can plays an important role in absorbing that shock, right? Because it, can. it can. you can't. You can't just 
jump on a guy from that high up. Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah, can. you can. Yeah, you yeah, really? Can. Yeah, yeah. Is there a special the way that you got to do that? The table actually helps. Break the ta- the fall right, the table a bit. breaks the fall. Well, okay. I mean, like you think of like an elbow drop. You don't necessarily want to hit somebody with the point of your elbow, and one of the places that'll really hurt them is a lot more like flat part of your bicep or your tricep or like into your armpit or whatever. If you watch a lot of uh, high angle elbow drops, you'll see where the impacts really happen. But no, mostly it's just, well, it's WrestleMania. Here's where the impact will count. So you do it, you deal with it later. And Vince, uh, you know, this just comes back to like Vince is always willing to, to injure himself as much as he would ask any of the guys to. And he proves it year after year in these ridiculous hardcore matches that he would have at WrestleMania. They always said that. They said Vince would never ask anybody to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Yeah. And that's another reason why I respected him a lot. When there's a little dance that Sean does when he's hitting Shane with the kendo that, stick. That's Shane's dance. That oh, that's Shane. That's, he's that's, mocking that's, him. That is yeah. an official thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you've mentioned that dance before, Evan. It's the one he comes out and does on the, oh, on the stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Know? Okay. Yeah. The one that I think that he unironically thinks is cool. Yes. And that's, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. That makes more sense. It, it was unironically. Ironically cool when The Rock's father used to do it in the 70s. I will say every time I have seen Shane McMahon in a thing, I mean, I guess I've only seen two matches. I've seen this one and I saw him and Vince. And both times he's really entertaining. He's a really he's really good at what he does. Maybe not a spectacular technical wrestler or anything, but like whether or not what Shane does is any good at any given point, you can tell that Shane is throwing himself entirely at it and he yeah. wants it to be as good as it possibly can. His match on the last several WrestleManias has been one of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. Like his match with Miz was I thought like number good. two or three this year. Yeah. Every year we groan about it when they announce it, and then it comes yeah. on and it's like, Oh, that's this good. Is good. Yeah. <laughs> His match with AJ, I thought was, was great. awesome. I thought oh, that absolutely. was the second best match on that card. And his match against Taker, which was all right, but the, he had the spot, you know, the crazy spot that he, I didn't even think that they would pull that off in this day and age. That was even with all the things he he had done in the past. The fact that in the year of what was that, 2017, the fact that he took that plunge was incredible. Off the top of the Hell in a Cell. The, the big Hell in a Cell, which are, which are higher up than the ones that used to be. Yeah, the ones we've seen in this uh, Fiend match we're going to talk about and also the McMahons versus DX, that is the newer, a bigger Hell in a Cell, which now I realize has been around much longer than the original one yeah. by now. Um, and as, as we established when we were talking about the Hart family and what growing up with Stu Hart as a father must have been like, if you, uh, I'm sure wrestling families, you know, the father will uh, make it clear that his love will be based on how good you are or are not at wrestling and then that's how you get really good wrestlers when it's so <laughs> deeply severed like I need to be good at this to prove my worthwhileness yeah. to my family like that's some um, I mean it destroys them forever but like that's how you raise genius kids it's the same in philosophy uh. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. No. Well, you, 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 you've let's succeeded all, let's all take so far, I think, Ben. Well, I, let's all Evan, take a moment for the Prof Doc's childhood. Uh. <laughs> Ev, I don't know if you know this, but um, Vince McMahon Sr. was also a wrestling promoter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they've ex- well, we we did on on the full history. Vince episode, which will be right. the one previous and to this Vince one. And Vince Sr.'s dad, Jess McMahon. It's it's that deep. Yeah, wrestling. Wow, I didn't even know that one. Is there anything else on this? I have one last thing. Yeah, let's do one last thing before we move on. Which is just Vince giving the finger on the stretcher going out. (laughs) Gotta mention that. So iconic. 
Right, because he's he's down, he's kind of out, but he wants to let you know. Still, yeah, screw you. I'm Vince McMahon. I'll be back. I still I still run this place. Damn it. So now moving from one of Vince's great moments of brilliance to one of his not, swing and misses. Oh yeah. All right. Not so good. I so I don't know how you guys want to do this because I have a lot to say about this match. I understand that the fans were upset about this match for a lot of things. I don't have any of that context. I just have the things that made me upset about it. I this think match. yeah, I think we could start about we could start with that. We could definitely start with the the technical aspects of the match and how you viewed it. Yeah, let's so, let's get Evan's raw reaction right. first and then we'll to try to give the t- Fiend Rollins 2019 fail in the jail. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look, I'll be honest, a lot of this is in the context of I'm just like going through all the shit with my job and like I'm turning 36 soon and I'm just wor- wondering about, you know, uh, what how I spend my time and like what is it to spend your time in a worthwhile way and what is it to create anything and put it out into the world and, and have and if it has value or not and how responsible you are. And then like I just got fucking upset watching this match because. So, all right, first off, I actually, I, I got my hopes up big time at the beginning because I love this fucking demented Mr. Rogers wrestler character that the Fiend is. Seems great. And then, surprise, he's actually two characters. He has one really interesting character that he does promos as, and then another fucking boring, stupid, outdated character who's like, oh, and then I'll just be like a Slipknot guy in 2019. That's acceptable. That's a thing that's relevant and people care about. And I'll come out casually stroll to the match and then he just he does the like it's like like the Jason Voorhees Michael Myers sort of like I don't really emote and I move really slowly and I seem like I'm invincible and but which was like done by fucking 1995 and I, I just I was so bored during this match it was red it was all like just the whole like they put on the lights in a way where the whole match was red. It was unpleasant to listen to. I don't know who this Seth Rollins guy is. He just seems like what if Jake Gyllenhaal was a wrestler? That's as much as I got out of it. The whole fucking match was boring. The by the end when he's putting stuff on him and hitting him with it, I was like that. That seemed dumb. I just like I I yeah. I mean here are my notes. Like I hate this. It's unpleasant to look at. He just strolls. Oh yeah. Two, uh, I've noticed a few markers of matches that, like, if I see this at the beginning of the match, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a bad match. And there's two things. One is casual strolling. Lots of casual strolling that the guy thinks is threatening striding, but no, it's casual strolling. And the second is the there's a specific lockup that guys will do at the beginning that, to me, says they're like, oh, we didn't fucking talk about this at all beforehand, so we really... We really need to touch base at the beginning of this. That's called a collar and elbow tie-up. Oh, is, I believe that's what he's yeah, referring to. It is yeah. the it is the beginning of of a match. The, yeah. Of a match, it's, it's a the very, standard beginning that everybody learns. It's a very standard thing. In this match, I'm pretty sure they meticulously planned out every single moment of this match. Well, I don't you think really there was much improvised here. Well, you really can't tell because <laughs> I like. All right, so like, am I nuts? Like, is this guy uh, is he considered a good wrestler? Rollins? Seth Rollins, yeah. Either of them. Well, let's start off with Rollins. 
I personally think Rollins is the least interesting champion the WWE has ever had. I've never liked him since I first saw him as Tyler Black. Doc and I, but I think we saw him in Jersey All-Pro. Yeah, and when we saw him at Ring of Honor shows. He was always proof to me that you could do a lot of really, really good crisp moves, and I can still not care. He really seems like you're just, like, having missionary position sex with some vanilla ice cream. Like, it's I don't even get what... Well, you know what it is? Because he is what WWE considers like and, and they they actually call him the beast slayer or they call him the the monster slayer Wh- whatever monster he's going against and whatever um trope that that guy has if it's the beast Brock Lesnar he's the beast slayer if it's the monster Braun Strowman he's the monster slayer and they literally didn't even hide it like that's what they look at for their top guy like the the they call it the white meat baby face which is just like the the guy all the kids are going to root for and they do because WWE not gonna offend anybody, right? He's, WWE they cornered the market on kids, right? Because they're just trying to make as most the most money as possible. They've cornered the market on kids, so they just want to push whatever white meat baby face, no matter how boring it is to the rest of society. If the kids look at this guy like he's a hero, they did it for a decade with John Cena. I don't know if you're too familiar with John Cena. Cena is somebody who, even if you didn't know anything about wrestling, like you, there's no way to. Uh, you, I just absorbed some knowledge about him through the internet. Like, he's at least kind of charismatic, though. Yeah, yeah he's the, the, more charismatic. It, it's. Started with, it started with Hulk Hogan, right? Because that's when everyone thought wrestling was real. That's when it was new, or at least into the mainstream size it was new. So everybody was like, wow, this is great. And this guy, Hulk Hogan, is incredible. He's got so much charisma, and he could defeat any monster. And then it went to Stone Cold, which was actually the only real diversion from the, the white niece good guy because he was kind of a bad guy in terms. And then it went to Cena, and it's just gotten more, more and more stale as and time has gone on. Especially because it seems like... You know, all those guys, even Cena, like, there's something to their character. But if this guy is really just the Beast Slayer, the Monster Slayer, by definition, he is being defined only by whoever his most recent match was against. That is the definition of an empty character. And, you know, you you mentioned the monster movie comparison. I mean, whatever you think of doing that kind of thing again, if you're watching the horror movie, you have to kind of care about the people who are being hunted and killed, right? So even though the monster might not be doing anything that interesting except just being a scary monster, like, hopefully there are some... Some other actors there who are carrying the fucking story. I think part of why I got so upset was because I felt so bait and switched because it seemed like, wow, here's a guy who has a really interesting character who's got a very expressive face who looks like he's, you know, physically going to be a really good wrestler. And then, like, I, I do not understand the appeal of this fiend character. I do not understand the, the appeal of why he would go out and wrestle in this guise, which seems to strip all of the cool things about the other character away. This is where the context comes in pretty heavily as far as like Bray Wyatt goes, because Bray Wyatt has been around for several years um, under kind of a different character. He had more of like a, a kind of a swamp guru cult leader kind of thing. He would have like goons. Kind of like the end of the first season of True Detective. The, the the backwater people there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and it like, was cool. Th- and they did that. For it was cool years. in NXT, and then as soon as it got to the main roster, well, it went up. It was and still down. cool, it honestly. Went up and down for a few years in the main roster because they would always just take their swings with it, and sometimes it would be great, and sometimes it wouldn't. But at some point, it it was just completely played out, and they took him off TV for 
what, seven, eight months? Yeah, like for a, a while. complete reboot. And then they started doing vignettes with Bray Wyatt near the Firefly Funhouse, as you put it, the Mr. Rogers character. And he comes in, big smile, hey kids, he has puppets. Um, and he kind of creepy ex- puppets, creepy puppets, and, and yeah. each puppet is a callback to his his character before they made this change. Each yeah. character is like um, there's one that's a pig. One of his earliest characters before was a uh, Husky Harris, and so the Huskus the pig, and yeah. like like all all the shitty things that they gave him to do are now are now his puppets. And by the way, he is a third generation wrestler. Yeah, that's um, what he is. and except one of the other puppets is the. Evil Vince mask with the devil horns. That's what that was hilarious. Awesome. It, it, so when he shows all, up, uh, he has to feed the puppet dollars to make it go away. This is all A plus. This is all right. A plus. It's, it's incredible stuff. Everyone yeah. loved, it's by far the most interesting thing on Raw for months and months. I haven't been watching Raw every week. I, I like I'd read the report and shit. I'd go make sure to hunt down the Firefly Funhouse on YouTube every week. So the point of it eventually became he's reformed. He has managed to not be this psycho anymore. But there's still what really happened is that he took all of the evil parts of Bray Wyatt and all of the violent parts and completely compartmentalized them into the fiend. So on the vignettes and on screen, he'd be the smiling, you know, hey, kids, we're all going to have a good time in the Firefly. He would be with a big smile on his face, wave at the camera and say, see you in hell. And then he would show up. But before that, he'd change his demeanor all of a sudden and say, it's like, I can be your friend. All you have to do is let me in. Most of his appearances so far have been very brief. Yeah. It was like there, and, and usually it's not against active roster members. They would have uh, they would have a legend come out, a guy who who was an older dude. They'd do whatever segment they were gonna do, and then like the lights would go out, and not all at once as previous lights out things in sections, and the screeching music would start to play, and then the fiend would be in the ring, poorly lit. Put his uh, put the guy who he's attacking in the mandible claw, which is mankind's old finisher, where you put your your two of your fingers in somebody's mouth and dig under their tongue, destroy them. The lights go back out again, and they're gone. And, and they did it well. Uh, what they did with the lighting is they had a spotlight that would just flash across the ring, and so you'd only see him for a split second, yeah. and then flash back, and you'd only see him again for a split second. It, it was crazy. incredible stuff. That all see this all sounds great. So, this all sounds so like a great idea. Even the fiend monster that that you said you didn't like originally was it was done well yeah and from all reports almost all the creative for the firefly funhouse came from bray wyatt himself not from vince so i think it's a matter of once vince gets his hands on it because he has to book the wrestling show things kind of go downhill uh, hold on hold on then when they finally have him because eventually he has to have an actual match and the first match they actually have him have is against very popular babyface finn balor who is usually booked very strong. And then they have the match, and it's the same thing, like you said. He saunters to the ring and all of that, and they ring the bell. And over the course of, like, three minutes, Balor is confused, destroyed, and loses. And if this match had gone three minutes, probably would have been great, but instead it was 15 minutes of Seth Rollins beating him up for some reason to no satisfying conclusion. If Seth Rollins, by the way, the 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 slayer, had acted very confident, like, no, I can take this demon, then that probably would have been cool too, but he wasn't. He was just scared of him and, yeah. But still beating him But somehow. still beating him somehow. And but like, then they didn't even really announce the finish, so nobody 
nobody actually really knew what they were supposed to take from yeah, it. Not and really. And then he pops up and attacks Rollins anyway, as though he's the best. So, so everyone really loses. Right, yeah, exactly. 100%. Everyone loses. And it's an instance of what WWE does a lot where they show you the kind of shiny thing that you really want and then they take it away from you. And in the past, like, I've sort of defended that kind of booking because, like, you want to build to, like, the really satisfying resolution, you know, where it's if you give everyone everything immediately, it's not that interesting. You got to kind of work for it. But in this case, WWE has been so uninteresting. And this is the one thing that the fans grabbed onto that sort of lit their imagination. Like with the Finn Balor thing, the year before at SummerSlam, Finn Balor's own supernatural alter ego, the demon, had trounced Bray Wyatt very quickly as well. So we're all thinking... The oh, old Bray Wyatt character. The old Bray Wyatt. So now we're thinking, oh, we're going to get the demon versus the fiend eventually. And they announced that the fiend is going to have this title match, which I thought was a little too soon. Very Agreed, yeah, 100%. Very the title, and this is, you know, taking it back to, like, behind-the-scenes insight, titles, you know, they mean nothing in wrestling, in real, like, in reality. What you use a title for is for a guy who needs it. This guy needs a title. He needs some legitimacy. This guy was, he was the most over-character, not only in the WWE, he was the most over-and-talked-about character in wrestling. This guy did not need a title. He could have went on a rampage and for months, for a year. He probably, they probably could have held on to that momentum for so long and the first thing they do give him a title match and completely beef the whole thing yeah, he was, doesn't and, win and, it yeah. and the idea that he could be the champion though was like oh well if he became the champion would you know the whole show turn into yeah, the firefly right. funhouse like, yeah that'd be dope that, there's, there's so, so much cool, cool things, things. <laughs> who could Thanks. possibly beat this invincible monster if he just comes in and takes it that's how you build an invincible monster it seems like the core of the problem sort of like the issue that I had just moving from the one segment to the match is that they have this guy and they establish all of his strengths and they establish all the things that make him cool and then they put him in a match where none of that is in play. Yeah, yes. that's where right. He, where, not, where he cannot do any of the things that make him interesting. He can't do a promo as the more interesting character. He can't do, like, the quick, like, sort of uh, effects-aided murder thing. He can't do that. He had the giant mallet. Oh, the oh, giant cartoon God. mallet. I, oh. th I thought they he pulled that out. I'm like, oh, that's great. Th like, whatever they're about to do with this is about to be interesting. No. Nope. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that this match set a record for me in this podcast. It was the first match where I tapped out. It was the first match where it got to the point when when Rollins very like gingerly goes over to see if he's dead or not and then hits him with the chair. I just was like, I'm done. I don't I don't fucking need to watch this. And then I said I had to, to plead with Evan this morning to finish the match. As much as I am committed to trying to understand wrestling and all this stuff, I also just on as somebody who likes to consume art and entertainment, if something <laughs> is garbage to a certain point, like I yeah. I'm a big believer like you absolutely can put down a book if that book sucks halfway through. Yeah. Don't push through. Life is way too short. Don't if you get if you're 50 pages from the end and you've started to hate it, put it down and live your life and it's fine. That's what really frustrates me about some wrestlers' response to this. Like Doc Gallows was like, "Well, you know, if you don't like what happened on Sunday, we got another show on Monday, and we got another show on Tuesday." It's like, well, if I didn't like what happened on Sunday, why the fuck should I keep yeah. watching? Yeah, if you fucked me on Sunday, why am I going to be like, "Oh, well, maybe it'll go differently on Tuesday"? Well, like the, the main reason we wanted you to see the end of it is that that's what most people really hated about it. You can tell in the middle of the extended 
extended sequence where the fiend is down and his only movement is when he kicks out of everything really fast. There's a point where the crowd realizes he's not going to win the title. And a lot of them came specifically to see that happen. They were like, here's the new hot character. We're not into the current champion. He's just going to come and murder Seth Rollins. And then none of that happened. And their current champion, Rollins, is now getting booed by every crowd. And they keep putting this match on for the live crowd at every show to massive boos for their top babyface. And now they're going to do the fucking rematch in fucking Saudi Arabia. (laughs) Oh, God. So here is what I really can't figure out. This the the physicality of the fiend character, the Jason Voorhees style thing, maybe sounds like a good idea in a pitch meeting. It is not interesting to watch. And my question is, how does he get away with that? How has nobody in the WWE pulled him aside and be like, oh, actually uh, walking slowly and not responding to getting hit is not fucking interesting. I mean, about the everyone loves the entrance. Yeah. yeah, okay, the entrance is great, but, like, the... The, but the entrance is when he's walking slowly. Am, am like, I insane? Do you understand like, what I'm you, saying? You know, he shouldn't be in long matches. He sh- they should do what they did at SummerSlam and just have him either kill people or just do the match where, you know, as Rollins did, he just keeps getting hit over and over again and doesn't respond and then kills the guy. Like, I, I, gotta, I gotta say, you typically are in the minority with wrestling fans. They love... The Walking Slow. They loved uh, Kane. They loved The Undertaker. That is actually one of the biggest pops is when you come out and you walk slow and you're ominous. For some reason, I don't know, wrestling fans just like that. I don't, I don't know well, why. Well, no, and I I'm like I don't even necessarily think that's inherently... It's not like it's inherently bad. Like, I could imagine... Like, I've watched a couple Undertaker matches and, like, I can absolutely see how it can work. Or, like, I've... I don't think I've seen any Kane... I haven't, we haven't watched any Kane matches for the podcast, but, like, I remember seeing Kane... Matches like a big star a, yeah, for a long time. and he's like a threatening-looking dude. I guess it just didn't. I guess it just didn't. It didn't read as threatening to me. It just read as lazy. Wow. I can absolutely imagine a, a world in which somebody pulls it off well, and it is threatening and ominous well, you, you and cool. Know, you know what it is? He, um, they built to this fiend character using the Mister Rogers and how interesting that was. And he and they basically kept calling back to like, uh, you know, his his Mister Rogers character kept saying, "Oh, but listen." There's there's this guy out there. He's the fiend, and you know I don't know what's gonna happen when he shows up, but he's gonna be you know you don't want to get on his bad side. He it was it was it was done. I'll say it was done well, and I and I think the whole character was great. Just the match, then the way they booked the match was just garbage, and everybody lost. And a pet peeve of mine is when wrestling fans say, uh, and and this goes back to wrestlers, not much with the characters, but they'll say, oh well, uh, Brock Lesnar hit Goldberg with three of his finishers, the F5. Oh, so now anybody who loses in less than three F5s or like how is, or John Cena kicked out of like five F5s and Brock Lesnar kicked out of like three of John Cena's finishers. So how do they bump it up? And I, th- I always thought that was dumb because, you know, you can, you can put somebody away on any, any given day with any move. But it depends six. on the whole context of the match, too. right? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, if it's WrestleMania, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna will his way to kick out of more. But he kicked out of Seth Rollins' finisher, the curb stomp, six times <laughs> in a row, and kicked out at one. At one, he just kept doing he, it he, over and like, over again. Like that, that that goes past suspension of belief. He kicked out at one and then didn't move, and then did to like capitalize on it. It made both of them look look terrible. Yeah. Goes past suspension of belief. How are you supposed to? 
have any credibility on your top guy when this guy just kicked out of six of his finishers. Now, how is Bray Wyatt going to have any kind of normal wrestling match with anybody ever again? He just kicked out of your champion's finisher six times in a row. If you're telling a story with the moves and there's kind of a fighting game sort of style, like almost Dragon Ball, the moves all have different powers. Yeah, if you just keep having the finisher mean nothing, then why have a finisher? Why would you ever exactly. expect anybody to feel anything if somebody's about to any do type a finisher? Any excitement. For another episode, I had to watch another Roman Reigns match. To me, that's like so far the ultimate example of the anticlimactic finisher, the jump punch. I know he calls it something else. It's the jump punch. I'm not <laughs> fucking referring to it by anything else. That's his like setup for his. Fi- the spear is his actual finisher. Finisher. Oh, but, yeah. that's somehow that- even less creative. Yes. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me give you a little backstory. Right. And, and and typically in wrestling, and you know, I, I feel like you've seen enough wrestling now to know, OK, so the finisher is going to end the match unless it's a big time match. Then maybe it might take two finishers. Right. Or may, and if it's WrestleMania, if it's the main event, maybe it'll be three finishers. Right. Like so, in the Vince Sean match where yeah. it was done really well. Right. Yeah. So they booked themselves into a corner because they brought back a guy named Goldberg last year. Evan knows oh, all about are, Goldberg. We've, 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 <laughs> okay. one, uh, one of the few concrete wrestling positions I've developed so far is that I don't care for Goldberg. It, did, was he watching WCW or this new Goldberg? Uh, it was Goldberg Lesnar from WrestleMania 20. Oh, okay, okay. So, so, so they bring Goldberg back to have that exact rematch at WrestleMania 33, maybe? Which was really good, actually. I like that match. It, it was it, it was good and it was shorter. But the problem was they didn't want they were lazy and they didn't want to do a real match. So how they started the match off was they each hit a finisher. So at the time it was cool. And actually, no, I'm sorry, it was at Survivor Series. So oh no, he, no, he squashed him. Squash, yeah. He squashed him at Survivor Series, right? So, so then they have this match at Mania. They start off finisher finisher, um, and then they go finisher 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 outside spot. Finisher, 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 finisher. And so then they kind of booked themselves into a corner, right? Because now it's like, oh, well, so-and-so, he took three of his finishers, right? And then um, then he he beats uh, Kevin Owens, and Goldberg becomes the top champion in the year of 2017, which is nobody really liked that because obviously he oh. was a big star of the late 90s, early 2000s. And it seems like nowadays every main event match – needs more and more finishers to the point where it's like now you've got garbage where the fiend needs to take six finishers and 800 chair shots and 8,000 weapons piled on top of them. How are you going to, what are you going to do next time? Eight, eight, 18 finishers, you know, they've booked themselves into a corner with that and, and it makes, it really hurts the product. It really seemed like the cheapest possible way to, like artificially escalate a match, right? Like like matches like the whole the point it escalates and it escalates and it escalates until you hit the, until you hit the climax and somebody it gets pinned for three and the crowd goes nuts and that's how it should work. And to just like, I'll put another thing on him. I'll put another. When he brings out the hammer and the refs like, whoa, calm down. I was like, you know, if you hit somebody with a fucking toolbox. Like a full <laughs> toolbox? That's not much less damaging than a hammer. Well, there's history with the hammer. That is Triple H's weapon of choice, the sledgehammer. It has put down many people, so it has this kind of like spiritual power. It's like Thor's hammer. They you were know? upset because it was used previously by a good wrestler in good matches, and they were like, that has no place here. Yeah. 
Well, that, that, that brings us once again to the very end of the match where he keeps doing it. There's no satisfying conclusion. Seth Rollins does this to The Fiend over and over and then doesn't beat him. Also, he doesn't lose to him. And the crowd thought it was a disqualification because they didn't announce what the actual result was, yeah. which shouldn't happen in a Hell in a Cell match. Ugh. Hell in a Cell is supposed right. to be like, you know, anything goes. And... One one last thing. So um, a bunch of people, obviously lots of people were critical of this match, including wrestlers in the company. And reportedly Vince McMahon's reaction was, oh, I guess some people in our company are too pro wrestling. So what? You, know, you can unpack well, that how you want. little context for that, Evan. Um... WWE is not pro wrestling, and that's not just being quirky. Vince McMahon, in order to um, not have to pay certain taxes or something, there's some yeah, kind of in New legal York, sports taxes in New York. Yeah, or whatever. Um, he actually went on record in uh, in the early 2000s and said, "We are not pro wrestling. We are sports entertainment." And th- all the way back to the 80s, yeah, he's, he's been doing that. Yeah, and I think part of it is also to distance himself from what he sees as like old time wrestling. Yeah. They, he thinks like, look, we do a lot more than just pro wrestling. It's an entertainment company. He wants people to think of him as making movies. I mean, it, this did kind of feel like somebody watched a horror movie from the early 2000s. Like this totally feels like somebody who just watched Saw and was like, bro. Like, this fucking movie's awesome, which, I mean, the first one's actually pretty good. But yeah, yeah, the first the, one. Then they uh, made, like, but, half a dozen more. And, like, and even also, like, they, they do these, like, they added in these, um, those, like, uh, post-production zooms where, like, the camera doesn't zoom, but, like, they just zoom in on the image to kind of, which is, like, a thing that they do in cheap horror movies. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah, it seemed like they were trying to go for, like, a horror movie aesthetic. Oh, the, and, re- the red lights throughout the arena didn't give that away? Oh, my God. I, and you know, that must I, have really sucked for the live crowd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I there, You already have this cage you have to see through. And the cage is red. Now the lights are red. Yeah. How can you see anything? Dude, I, like, had to, like, pause the match and just look at other parts of my house for a minute. Because <laughs> it was just, like, burning my eyes. And, you know, I give them credit because what they try to do in 2019 with a very critical crowd, they have to try and do different things. I respected it. I, I, When I first saw the lights, when the match first started, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Granted, maybe four minutes in, I was like, all right, well, now it's annoying. But it was cool. And it was at least they were at least trying. Right, they were to trying to do something different. Yeah. Once again, if the I match lasted it. three minutes, all of this would have been much better. L- one last thing on yeah. the pro wrestling thing. I think part of it also is Vince not thinking that people care too much about the finishes, about like wins and losses and stuff like that. I think that's part of what he means about them being too pro wrestling, which is why this new company AEW has gone totally in that direction where they're like keeping the win loss records of everybody. And I think Vince is really driving away the pro wrestling fans. And now they have an alternative. And this might be the beginning of a real turning point in the wrestling business where the hegemony of WWE over the wrestling business is reducing and perhaps uh, being eliminated altogether. I fucking hope so, man. I hope that this is the beginning of a golden age because it seems like... This would be a renaissance, actually. And then, Or, yeah, yeah, renaissance, renaissance. Yeah, Sorry, not not to be a snob. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. <laughs> no, that's good. We're, 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 all, we're all a little snobby here. Uh, we all like to mince words and split hairs here. Yeah. Uh, because it does, I mean, it does feel like, you know, whenever I see recent stuff from WWE, it just seems... Oh, I don't know who is running the show. I don't know. And yeah, and I there's no hope. Like, I want to like this. I really want to try to get into this. And I find it so hostile in how bad it is. Well, <laughs> in, in, in this year, 
I and I and I know obviously for the sake of the podcast you watch WWE stuff because it's people it's things that the majority of people have seen. You personally if you do want to get into wrestling, I definitely suggest checking out alternatives. Yeah. Not not even because like WWE. IWW. <laughs> yes. Um definitely have episode 1 coming out. So it's not just the live show aspect. We do do uh episodic content. Anyway, um cuz even if you it's not just cuz WWE's bad. Even if WWE was good right now, I would tell you check out alternatives. Sure. AEW just started, so it's a good time to hop on. Just uh last night they had their third episode. NWA from, from So good. NWA? Oh, yeah. NWA Power. Yeah. Uh, and it's quick. Fan. It's uh and it's called Yeah, it's called the NWA Power Hour. It's 1 hour a week on YouTube. It's old school wrestling but done modernly. It's great. It's It actually really does bother me that so many wrestling fans complain about the WWE product and yet still watch it and don't seek out these alternatives. Because they're there. They've been there for a while. And they're now. apparent. Easier to get to now than ever. I don't understand why a TV deal. I get why, but I don't understand why a TV deal is like the basis of like this company is going to be successful it's a lot easier to go on youtube yeah i guess so but yeah it's a lot easier to go on youtube and check out content on youtube than it is to have to schedule yourself to sit down and watch (laughs) uh tv for an hour in the year 2019 when we binge it's binge culture i mean i I imagine that bumping into a promotion that like their ultimate goal is trying to get a tv deal is like when you meet a musician who their ultimate goal now is to get a record deal and it's like yeah it's not the fucking 70s anymore dude like there's so many other things that you can do i will say for wwe they still have nxt so they still kind of have the pro wrestling fans, whether uh, we NXT like it or still not. Pretty good, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what it is too. And then a lot of people are saying, "Oh, well, we're watching NXT on Wednesday nights now, and it's even that's not good." NXT's um, weekly show was always just all right. It was just to build towards their incredible pay per views. And I feel like because yeah. a lot of people they don't understand, they think it's just going to be a spectacular every week. It's not because no, you have to build towards the spectacular. A- NXT is a TV show. This is a much longer conversation. It's, yeah. it's an excellent serial, and that means that every episode isn't necessarily a big pop, but they right. do build much more properly to their big. Oh shows. yeah, of course, right, right. And uh, Tom, you featured the incredibly kick-ass band and our mutual friends, Monsters on the Horizon. On uh, some on an IWW show, right? Yes, they uh, they had the first official theme of Breakthrough. So, Imperious by Sue Heidi Cole. That is that is the IWW brand's theme theme song. Breakthrough, the official theme song, was Wolves. The Wolves by Monsters on the Horizon. They came out. They did a full live rendition of it to kick off the show. It was great. People loved it. They have the official theme of cheat code as well, Moth. So hopefully they'll be there in attendance. But the promo that you're hearing for IWW with the voiceover, that is the aforementioned song, Moth, by Monsters on the Horizon. We love them. They Oh, and they also have the official theme of IWW superstar Danny Limelight, the Fang, or Fa- oh, I'm sorry, Fang's Out. Thanks out. Yeah, that's a good one. You will become an instantly cooler person by listening to this band. Absolutely. Me. No, they're, they're great, and IWW loves them. And we want to thank them again for the official theme of IWW Cheat Code. So, yeah, uh, Tom, man, plug plug all your yeah, pluggables. Yeah, for sure, plug. for sure. All right, so listen, 
Imperial World Wrestling. It's uh, it's the it's the place to be to check out for indie wrestling in the New York City location. Uh, if you want to check out our live shows, we're gonna be running in Queens. We have our next one November thirtieth at Martin Luther School. You can find out more information. Tickets available online. You can see us at Facebook Imperial World Wrestling, Instagram at Imperial World Wrestling, Twitter at IWW underscore wrestling, our website, imperialwrestling.com. We're super accessible. We're everywhere. You can see us at on your community uh, service channel. If you have Spectrum, that's channel 34. You get all our content there. Verizon, um, Direct TV, it's available everywhere. You got to find, you got to check your uh, providers. And what do you have in store for the fans November 30th? November 30th, we got a great uh, card lined up for you guys. It's We got the Apostles of Chaos that's led by Logan Black. It's going to be Chris Benet and Jason Sinclair taking on the spirit of Detroit, coming all the way from, you guessed it, Detroit. We have Jay George, the Thunderheart Jay George, taking on Ray Fury, coming in all the way from Louisiana in front of his hometown crowd. We have the Imperial Invitational Contract signing. That's when Danny Limelight, Isaiah Wolf, Aaron Bradley, and Killian McMurphy, all who advanced and won their qualifying matches back in June, they're going to be signing the contract for the first ever Imperial Invitational match. That's going to crown the first Atlantic champion. We have the Make a Statement Challenge, where Brother Greatness will be taking on MV Young for the Statement Championship, sponsored by Statement Games. We have Danny Limelight, who's going to be main eventing the show against an opponent to be announced, and that's going to be our card for November 30th. I'll be there in attendance. Ben's uh, going to be there. Yeah. I hope the rest of the crew is going to be there. Evan, I hope you're there. Doc, I hope you're there. Depends on uh, family stuff, Thanksgiving. But if I'm not at that Feel one, that. I am definitely at the next one because I really, I really want to go see some live independent wrestling, and I want to support people doing independent shit. And if you are listening to this, you absolutely should do that, too. Support the indies. And if you don't like the WWE especially, support the indies. Absolutely. And if you see us at the show, don't hesitate to come up and, uh, you know, tell us why we're idiots or <laughs> why you love us. Also, uh, I forgot to mention, shout out to Felicia Rose, the Phoenix Advocate uh Felicia Rose, the Phoenix Advocate. The IWW's got the Phoenix Division. That's our women's division. We have Ultraviolet taking on Damaris in a rematch from show one. And we have Kennedy Copeland versus legit Layla Hirsch. That's going to be a knockdown match. Ooh, Layla Hirsch. Yep, I expect that match to steal the show. Fucking, I don't know who any of those people are, but I'm excited <laughs> about learning. I'm excited yeah. about learning who they and are. Ultraviolet too. Gotta give it. Yeah, Ultraviolet's great. I, I will say the the local women's divisions in New York are much like they are on the national level, stealing the show in a lot of places. Uh, there's a lot of good talent. Just being in locker rooms, and I, I don't mean to, if if you feel personally offended by this, I'm not talking about you. It's you thinking about it and realizing I'm right. I think the women around here are taking it a little more seriously. You know, I, I hear the guys trying to talk about in locker rooms all the great moves they want to do, and I hear the women talking about how good of a match they want to put on. All right, this has been Contesting Wrestling. You should follow us on Twitter at ContestingW. You should uh, listen to us on all fucking platforms. Not all, but, you know, most of them. If no, it's, listen yeah. to us on all of them one after another. Yeah, yeah the, this episode <laughs> over really and over help. and over again on YouTube. On I will be testing you. There will be an exam at the end of the year or something. Yeah. Um, you should, if you enjoy this, you should go to our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash contesting wrestling. We put out one bonus episode per week. My name is Evan Burke. You can follow me on Twitter at Evan Burke, etc. That's Evan Burke, E-T-C. Check out my writing at evanburke.biz. I am Dr. Professor Dr. Ben Abelson, I'm, and I'm at Scribe Ben on Instagram and Twitter. 
And uh, my name is Doc Diamondfire. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Diamondfire. That's at Dr. Diamondfire. Uh, you can hear me doing commentary and ring announcing at several leagues around the area. You can find me at Extremely Serious Wrestling doing my thing. Uh, if you are interested in booking me for any of those positions, including wrestler, at me on Twitter. Send me a message. And uh, like Evan said, follow us and back us on Patreon. And I'm Tom Specialty Frazier. You could follow Imperial World Wrestling on Instagram at Imperial World Wrestling and buy your tickets online. Come out November 30th if you're in the New York City area. It's going to be a great show. All right. Thank you very much. June 29, 2019. The birth of just another wrestling promotion. New York City, Queens. Home to some, a stop along the way to many others. But the landscape would surely change after this fateful night. A former hip-hop artist and a former professional wrestler form an alliance. And after months of preparation, after years of dedication, IWW opened their doors. And what followed, you'd have to see to believe. A wild night no one could have predicted. Four first-time face-offs, a live sermon, a mass bet screw job, the rise of the Phoenix Division, an indie classic, and a special attraction triple threat, and all in front of an electric packed house. relentless competitor who controlled the chaos, the shooter who held a superior strategy, an American gangster who survived extinction, and the radioactive hometown kid who flourished under the limelight, come face to face for the first time. The Imperial Invitational Contract Signing to crown the first ever Atlantic Champion.
Episode 1, we broke through into the chaotic world of independent wrestling, and so many of you were there to welcome us in. Episode 2, we welcome you to join us all over again as we get the game all figured out. Ladies and gentlemen, IWW has the cheat code.